Welcome to the Good Theological Thursday podcast. My name is James Crockett. And I am Dre Clark. And we are glad to have you join in our conversation today. We hope that this podcast helps you as you think about your life and God and how they fit together. And a good Theological Thursday to all of you. We are in Season 5, Episode 14 of the podcast. Uh, we are talking this week about 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, this passage is very much known for Paul advocating for singleness, if I want to put it, if we can put it in simple terms. There's more going on in this chapter than that. Um, but we're going we're gonna to walk through this chapter, uh, everything with... Uh, from the cultural context, why does Paul say what he says? Um, have we misunderstood parts of this chapter? Uh, but hopefully it should be a good discussion today. Absolutely. I'm really excited about it. I think that um, I had a professor, James, and he he talked about singleness. Um, he, he's, he's living a life of celibacy, but he talks about how Christians often view singleness as saved, single, and second class. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so it's, I think this is a good verse to work through because the reality is, um, the majority of people today in America are single than they are married. And it's a growing trend, um, that mm-hmm. singleness is a thing. So I think it's a really good episode. I think it's good that we're talking through it. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, biblical things to talk through a lot of ways. I think some of the, this verse passage has been abused and, um, it's, has a lot of stuff to work through. So yeah. Excited about today's episode. Before we get to that, though, let's hit our segment, Weekly Wisdom and Wanderings. James W3 is what I've been calling the segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like it. So what are we talking about today for our Weekly Wisdoms and Wanderings, James? What's been on your mind? What you've been thinking through this week? Uh, I think, you know, Dre, you and I had talked beforehand just about um, some of the cultural events that have been going on, uh, you know, everything from... Uh, well, there's, you know, there's a lot of things been coming up, you know, you, you, you had sent me an article and I'd seen this a couple of weeks ago. There was someone from, uh, used to write for desiring God who left the faith, um, said, uh, he was no longer Christian. And so you have this other scenario where you have someone who, and this person being a prominent Christian writer, then claiming he's no longer a Christian. And so dealing again with deconstruction, uh, to, you know, the really big cultural event this week with, <clears throat> what happened in Minnesota, the conviction of Derek Chauvin and the whole George Floyd case and everything going on there to even, uh, you know, you had shortly after this, this um, police officer shot this girl in Ohio who was trying to stab another girl. And, um, you know, again, reactions to that and just how people are culturally engaging these things. And, you know, thinking through all these scenarios, uh, there's a couple of things. I guess I've thought of watching all of this. Um, you know, uh, you know. Again, I think at the outset you say the loss of any human life um, is something to grieve. Um, we should never be happy or jubilant when any human has lost their life. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and, and so I think starting there, um, too. I mean, there's still just a lot of division. There's a lot of racial tension going on. Um, and, and, you know, how do Christians continue to respond to all of this? And I think it's important for us to continue to be in the practice of of listening to one another and treating each of these situations. I, I tend to, you know, one of the things I think I've seen is all of these scenarios, I guess I'll take, you know, the the, the police shootings and people just tend to like throw this blanket over where 
blanket over it where they hear about it and their opinion is going to be the same with every situation, either on the side of the victim or on the side of the police officer. Mm -hmm. And I think we got to be really careful before we come out and speak on issues to examine each situation as we can come at it much more sympathetically and realize that each of these situations are actually pretty different. Um, and you know, and I'm trying, I'm trying not to like delve into like a political commentary on this because I'm, I'm not an expert politician or anything like that. Um, or an expert in, you know, policing or use of police force or anything like that. Like I'm, I'm not an expert on any of those things. Um, but from a Christian scenario, I'm, I'm asking, how do I respond biblically to all these things? And, Responding empathetically, responding with with mm-hmm. love and, you know, yeah. no matter what my opinion ends up being, um, listening to all sides. Yeah. Um, I need to, do, I, I need to, I need to ha- hold your opinions gracefully, hold your opinions in love, yeah. but it's okay to hold your opinions. Uh, right. Yeah. But, but, but hold them well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like here, here's what I've been thinking about with all these. So, you know, we talked about, you know, Paul Maxwell. So former Desiring God, you know, theology writer, professor, you know, wrote for John Piper, um, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, leaving the faith, you got more and more of social injustice. I mean, we are where we were at a year ago um, and, and things are continuing this way. Now, I think I think that one, there is, I think we talked about this a long time ago. There's the media that you know, that's, that's what we get for living this age is we have media. We can see stories. We -hmm. can see things that we weren't privy to, you know, before technology. And so, you know, what, what boils to the top is what sells. I mean, there's all that kind of stuff, but I do think, I think it's fair to say that, um, that the problem's not going away. Um, that, that, Mm -hmm. that this, and so here, here's kind of my, my wandering with it is, I think this is the direction that our culture I think I think there has been a turn. I don't think this is just attacks from the side. I think the whole I think the whole direction has shifted. I think we've made a major shift um, from modernity to postmodernity. I think we've made a mm-hmm. major shift from a Christendom, you know, worldview to a to a post-Christendom worldview. Um, I, mm-hmm. I think that I think there's been some um, irrevocable changes in life that has happened with my generation, the generation behind, um, that's following me. And I think that people would do well to take note of that um, and to take well yeah. to say, what is what does the practical implications for the church, the practical implications for evangelism, the practical implications for um, even study and how we conduct things if if things have dra- dramatically changed. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's my wondering is that, I mean, you're you're still seeing it. I think there's been a lot of incredible voices on on both sides, and there's been a lot of credible voices and input and wisdom that's been given. Uh, but things are still going this way, um, and I think you're going to continue to see culture change. I'm not trying to be pessimistic, but I think you know, I think it's worth noting like things are different now, and they're not going to go back. Yeah, and I, I think you know some people they fall into the trap of saying well things are worse and you know whether they're worse or not i mean mm-hmm. i guess th- that could be up for debate but I don't, I don't know if it's our i think we can lament over some of the things happening in our culture but i, I think we need to move we need to grieve we need to lament but then we need to move beyond that and ask okay the reality is is that we are in a different time yeah. and um you know that might not be changing anytime soon, and Andre, I think your your wondering is poignant in that 
it should change when we look at how do we do church? How yeah. do we how do we do evangelism? How do we how do we continue to do ministry in a time such as this that yeah. Yeah. we've got to adapt the culture and not adapt to the culture? And I and I don't mean that by saying all right we got to adapt the truth. I mean that's not what I'm saying. But our meth our methods. You know, some some people I think it's like, well, we need to go back to what we did 20, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, the problem with that is not even that what we did 20, 30 years ago is bad, but mm-hmm. what we did 20, 30 years ago addressed the culture yeah. 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. It's not the same culture now. Exactly. And so we've got to be asking ourselves, okay, how how can we be most effective and efficient for the sake of the gospel, never compromising truth, but how do we best speak the gospel into this postmodern world, yeah, um, and those are things I think we've got to rest, continue to wrestle through. Exactly, and, and I and I don't, you know, I I, my, I have brothers and sisters. I have amazing men and women in my life that are uh, very earnestly praying for revival. Right, they're mm-hmm. praying, they're praying for what was to be revived. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm just not a revivalist anymore. I think I'm, I'm just everything I see every time, you know, there's news events that go on. I keep thinking there's no way to revive what was. And I don't even know if we should, because I think it's a mixed bag of what was, um, I, mm. I think we should have reform. So I want to be in, I think, I think we need reformists. I think we need people that can come yeah. in and say that it has changed. So let's, let's take the truth that, that doesn't change and let's bring it to the next culture. Um, mm. and let's do this effectively. Um, and let's move forward with that. So I think, and I think it just changes everything. It changes the way we have to think about church programming and things, think about even our own, you know, devotional life or even, even from like the individual to the corporate, I think it changes everything. I think we're just different people. Um, I think after, you know, nine 11, after COVID, after recessions, all the stuff that's happened, I think that, you know, technology, uh, we're in a different place and I think we need to have more theologians, more, more people thinking that way. So that's my wondering yeah. on all of this. As, as I, as I see this stuff again and again, it's just like, Oh, you know, par for the course, par for the course. Um, and, and I, yeah. it's, it shouldn't be, but I, I think I'm ready just for people to step up and say, okay, what should it be? What, what do we need to do? Like, let's get it done. So. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Trey. Yeah. Um, let's move into our, our main topic for the day. Uh, we are going to again be in first Corinthians seven, mm-hmm. uh, first Corinthians seven is a long chapter. So, I mean, we've done exegetical episodes in the past Dre, where it's hard for us to get through two or three verses. So we kind of have to <laughs> probably, probably take a slightly different approach to this one. This chapter is 40 verses. Uh, but I think we'll really hit some of the highlights, especially as Paul talks about, um, singleness in marriage and he doesn't spend the whole chapter talking about singleness there's some other issues he addresses in the chapter but i think we'll kind of uh maybe really focus more on some of the statements he makes about you know like in verse eight he says for those who are unmarried and widows i say it's better for them to remain as i am right you know uh, mm-hmm. The idea of, or verse seven, I wish everyone was as I am. So, Paul basically saying, hey, I wish everyone was, um, you know, it sounds like he's saying, I wish everyone was single. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so, and then he expounds upon that even at the end of the chapter. But uh, I think that's really kind of what we're going to cover um, for the most part. So where do we want to start in this chapter, Dre? I mean, you have to start, I think seven, one is where we have to begin in it. Um, and you know, if we, we could spend the entire episode on just this one verse, I think, uh, but I think it gives us context, but even within the verse, half the verse is talking about the issues before. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the issues that 
that, that, the, that we don't even know, actually, the issues that were in the other conversation. You know, 1 Corinthians is really 2 mm-hmm. Corinthians. That we don't have the mm-hmm. first – there's another correspondent that's happened. Um, yeah. And so um, that we have. And so, yeah, I think that's where we got to start with uh, 1 Corinthians 7, ones, 7 1. And it, it really brings up this issue. Um, you know, James, my translation I'm reading says it's, it's, it, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and you know, that, that verse, I mean, you read that in the Bible, you're like, what? Like, it's good for a man not to have sex. Like, is that, oh, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. so there's the verse, there's a lot of context. James, you just did a, a lecture on this with your college people. So I'm going to let you fill in all the context since you just did it and it's <laughs> in your brain. How do we, how do we start with, I mean, does that verse itself, why is that in the Bible? You know, what, yeah. what do we do? Yeah. So Dre, I, I think it's, it's really, what you pointed out is very important that this is a correspondence. So Paul and the Corinthian church are communicating back and forth a little bit here, right? So Paul's written a letter to them before they've maybe written a letter back to them, which he says that in the verse with regard to the issues you wrote about, mm-hmm. right? So they are corresponding. They're in conversation with each other. Yeah. I would also say chapter seven exists in chapters five through seven, mm-hmm. where Paul is laying out a sexual ethic for the Corinthian church, because if you look at the Corinthian church, there's a lot of problems. Because they with, don't have one. <laughs> yeah, they, they have a, yeah, it's very loose. You've got problems with, uh, you know, a guy who's in relationship with his stepmom. Yeah, and you've got up. all sorts of really messed up sexual issues going on. So and just, just a just a side note, if you go back to, to the beginning, Paul, Paul seems to think that these, he calls them, he addresses them as believers, Right. Mm-hmm. Like he's like to the church, like those who are sanctified. So I, I, it's always like, is this what like these people, are they actually in Christ? Like are these like if you're sleeping yeah. with your stepmom, anyway, it's a whole other thing. It's just it's just a wild yeah. Corinthians. I mean, it, it gives yeah. me a lot of encouragement, man. I'm, I'm, I'm God. Doing, yeah. God's God's taking me way further than that in my life. So I mean, makes yeah. me grateful. Anyways. Yeah. OK. Side note. But yeah, yeah. a lot or, of a lot or, of issues in the church. Or, or we can empathize with Paul when sometimes we deal with people in the church who are or claim to be believers and they, they do things and you're like, how in the world can you be a believer and, do that, and be yeah. doing some of that? But, you know, it is spiritual maturity at times. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, this is what you have. So I think it's really important. This chapter exists in this conversation. Yeah. And so some of the things that Paul is going to say to them. Um, there are overarching principles I think we can apply, but there are some of the things that Paul's saying to them for a reason. Um, now, when it comes to verse one, again, so Dre, here, here's how I've heard this verse and it's been taken out of context. And even for a time, maybe I, w- I wrestled with this idea because I heard this verse taught this way. And I was like, I don't, anyway, so I've heard this verse taught in a way where it's good, for, we're almost... People forget about the first part of the verse. Now, with regard to the issues you wrote about, mm-hmm. and they just focus on the quote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Or some translations might even say it's good for a man not to touch a woman, which the idea of touch is it's definitely some sort of euphemism um, for having sexual relations. And mm-hmm. But I, I've heard it taught before that basically this means, and this maybe goes back to even some problems with um, purity culture, purity dating culture, where it's like, okay, you cannot touch a girl before you get married. So not not have sex. I mean, going as far as, oh, you shouldn't even hug a girl or you shouldn't hold her hand or you shouldn't kiss before marriage or any types of things. And look, we can have another conversation about that. 
But that's not what this verse is about. Yeah. Um, now, now, to be fair, you know, if you're reading this in your Bible, the majority of translations will say it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Like that mm-hmm. is the word, you know, hapto in Greek, that, that is what it means is to touch. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So so if you have a translation that says that, you know, like I think the ESV, the NIV and CSB are probably the ones that, that change it. But, you know, NASB, um, KJV, all of those are going to have mm-hmm. you, new, in, new yep. King James. They're going to say touch. So we're not changing the Bible. What we're saying is that this is a, um, this specific phrase is a, idiom in greek like we know it there's tons of references um Mm -hmm. you know in greek literature where it means you know sexual relationships i think there's only one out of like 10 that that's not there so most interpreters are saying yeah this is talking about sex not just holding hands with somebody yeah well and dre so that's true and the second thing i'll point out is this is not paul's quote Mm -hmm. this is a the saying that the church wrote to him yeah. Right. So he says, you wrote this and this is maybe a saying within the Corinthian church. And what it might possibly be referencing is ascetic practices. So the Corinthians were maybe arguing that, hey, we have a higher level of holiness if we abstain from sexual relations, even within a marital relationship. Right. So some of these people who are married are saying, well, you know, we're going to be more holy by not having sex with each other, right? As husband and wife. Now, and now Paul will go on to address them and say, you shouldn't do that. And in other words, you shouldn't be, if you're a husband, and he says some actually pretty revolutionary things considering the cultural context. He says everything from, uh, okay, the wife's body does not belong to her, but it belongs to the husband. But he also says the husband's body doesn't belong to him, it belongs to the wife, which that was very, again, you know, in Greek in Greco-Roman culture, you know, there was unfortunately the idea of marriage of the wife just belonged to the husband, but the idea that the husband's body actually belonged to his wife would have been very um, against the culture, right? But he, he talks about the idea of, look, you you exist in this marital relationship and you are, de- you know, you shouldn't be denying each other. And just because you abstain from sexual relations within your marital relationship, it doesn't make you more holy. He says, you could do this maybe for a time. Uh, he says this in verse uh, number, um, verse five, he said, maybe by mutual agreement, right? Both sides, husband and wife say for a specific time, hey, we're going to abstain. So you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then he says, then resume your relationship, right? So this is the issue he's addressing. Mm-hmm. Um, some of this is asceticism, where it's the idea of that those who abstain from sexual relations are at a higher level of spirituality. And maybe even the sense of there was some thought in Greco-Roman culture that celibacy meant a higher level of spirituality, right? So it's interesting to to think about this compared to the day where I think sometimes in Christianity, you would think that marriage is the pinnacle of spirituality, that you're almost more spiritual or a better Christian. You kind of referenced that in the quote earlier from Jay Smith, where mm-hmm. singles are almost seen as second-class Christians. Yeah. Um, whereas today, marriage is seen as like this higher-level spirituality. Well, in that culture, maybe the Corinthian problem was the other the other way. They were seeing singleness as a higher level of spirituality than yeah. marriage. So the, I don't know. Is there something else you want to add there, Trey? But that's kind of the context behind. Yeah. 
Yeah. A little bit what Paul is addressing. Yeah, so d- just to back up and, and, just, and just argue this biblically as best we can, um, what's happening, the way I was you know, kind of taught this, um, this is actually Daryl Bach that taught me this one, but the Corinthians is, is like a phone call happening. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you have, you got one end of the phone call um, that we're seeing and, and you're, you don't hear the other end. Now, you, what we can do is we can piece together, you know, have you ever done this? Like if your parents on the phone, and you're like trying to guess who mm-hmm. they're talking to or what they're talking about. Like mm-hmm. you start kind of, having to guess, like, what's the other end of the phone call? Well, there's a lot of clues uh, because of, you know, like back in chapter six and chapter 10, like there's these same quotes that are used. Um, Mm -hmm. And and so there's a lot of clues that Paul is looking at a letter of things that they've wrote and he, and he's, he's taking what they've written in there and he's kind of saying, okay, let's talk about this issue. And, And what he does often is he starts off with what they have and he seeks to kind of agree with them and say, okay, like, let, let me meet you on your terms. But then he adds corrections to the ideas. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's exactly what's happening here. He's taking a line that they said, and he's like, okay, let's talk about this. Um, and I'm going to agree with you on this part, but let me go on to talk a little bit more about it. And mm-hmm. so that, that is the context. So you've got to be careful whenever you're reading through this. Um, you know, let scripture speak for what it is. Read it as a whole um, and, and start seeing what Paul is doing. He's, he's agreeing with the slogans and then he's correcting it in the following verses. And, and I think the Corinthians are trying to justify abstinence within marriage. I think that's really the issue at, at mm-hmm. stake here. Um, and so so then, then the, tr- the question is, is, is that that must help us interpret how interpret what's happening and it must help us apply okay what does this mean for us today and i think that's where you have to be careful of what it is and so people that say oh this means you can't hold hands or it means you can't kiss somebody before you're married because it's good for a man not to touch a woman you know um (laughs) that is that is that an appropriate application of this is that really what's happening um i would say that's a different situation that's a different thing um, yeah. And so we've, yeah, we've, I would, yeah, I would say that's not a scenario Paul's addressing right here. Yeah, and, definitely. Now, does it apply? I mean, I'm, we're, we're, we can get to that later, but like, I think that that's, and so even whenever we talk about singleness, you know, whenever Paul goes into to different, you know, thoughts, I think we got to realize he's giving advice to a specific group of people that have a specific um, ideology. And I think he's talking through with mm-hmm. that. Now it's still applicable to us today. There is wisdom that we need mm-hmm. to find in this text, but mm-hmm. um, it, it's, it's a tricky passage. It's a tricky passage. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so that's kind of setting up the context. I want to skip down now, Dre, to the part where you know Paul Paul begins to say some curious things, where he really, you know, Paul's a, a single guy, and yeah. he advocates yep. for singleness. Verse you seven, know, he, yeah. yeah, verse seven. So he says, you know, my translation. I, I think we're reading from the same translation, reading from the net. Um, I'm reading from the Greek and, personally, so well, I have the Greek right next to it. Pontes Anthropus, and there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he says, um, I wish that everyone was as I am. Uh, so what is he saying? He's saying, I wish that everyone was single. He says, I wish everyone was celibate like me right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he says, but each has his own gift from God, one this way. And another that, um, and then he, he kind of expounds on this. He he gives more explanatory thought uh, in verse eight to the unmarried and widows. I say it is best for them to remain as I am, mm-hmm. but if they do not have self control, let them get married. For it's better to marry than to burn with sexual desire. Um, Dre, what do you want to start with these verses? There's a couple of thoughts I have on them, but where 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 do you want to take this? Yeah, I you know I think verse seven is is another another tricky verse. I mean, literally, if you're trying to read it, you know, it kind of reads like each has his own gift from God. 
the one, this one, the other, that, thus, you know, it's kind mm-hmm. of, I mean, yep. so, mm-hmm. so, so I think the big question here, James, that the, you know, whenever I've gone through this before, some professors is, is this a specific statement or a general statement? I think that's the real question here. Is this, is this a specific to the, is this a, like something that's just happening? Another way to say, it, is this descriptive, right? Or is this prescriptive? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, what, what's happening in the context, you know, that Paul is saying, is this something that we all need to, to take on or not? Um, what, what yeah. do you, what do you think to that? I, I take, especially the part, you know, here's what I would say. The, the first part of verse seven, um, I would say this is a general statement by Paul in the sense that Paul really puts a high value on his singleness. Um, mm-hmm. And he's say, and it's not that Paul is denigrating marriage because the wrong way you can read this is Paul is saying singleness is so much better than marriage. But I think really the way to read it is read it. Don't read it in the negative. Read it in the positive. That is, Paul has put a very high value on his status as a single person, right? That he and and he'll explain that um, later in the chapter, which we can get to that here in a little bit. Um, so he's really kind of introducing the concept, and he really is actually not gonna fully expound on why he says this mm-hmm. until down all the way like in uh i think like verse 25 a little bit but even further than that um so i think that's one thing um secondly but each has his own gift from god one this way another that like you said the literal reading of that is is very kind of curious but it's ambiguous I, in a sense it's, it's in, yeah. yeah but i i tend to so if you want to take it as i, I tend to interpret this as if paul's speaking in the context of celibacy slash singleness in marriage. Yeah. I, I tend to think of it as he's talking about these are both gifts from God. Okay. Right. So for some, for some people being single and being celibate is a gift. And I don't know if I would, cause some people might then say, is this some sort of like uh spiritual gift? Um, I don't, I don't know if I would say that. I mean, you can maybe make an argument for it because Jesus will talk about um, in the Gospels, you know, some people who are eunuchs and things like that. He'll he'll mention this idea in the New Testament of this gift of celibacy. Um, but he's saying both are a gift. Yeah. Right? And I think that's important to realize is, again, Paul's not pitting marriage and singleness against each other and saying which one's better than the other. He's saying the, there are both gifts they're both gifts from god um, yeah they're both beneficial yeah. um and each of them has their benefits each of them has their challenges but each of them have in- incredible valuable benefits and paul is saying hey i value my singleness i wish that everyone was like me because i think my singleness is that valuable but i will also acknowledge that those who are married also have a gift and it's just, and I think, you know, even Paul would say it's just as valuable as my gift. It's just valuable in a different way. Yeah. Um, So that's what I would say. So that would be, um, so let me give you, I'll give you two different translations. I have my notes in front of me. You know, the the NLT, you know, says here's mm -hmm. how it translates. God gives some the gift of marriage and to others, the gift of singleness. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is, this is kind of in line with, you know, I think you're reading out the net. This is kind of in line with NIV, um, you know, a couple other different translations. Another one, the NRSV says each has a particular gift from God, one having one kind and another having a different kind. So maybe this is more of, you know, each person has a gift and, you know, you know, you have one and some people have others. And so it's not being really clear of, 
you know, mm-hmm. it's ideas. If you're single, you have you you need to use your gifts. If you're married, you need to use your gifts. So it's not necessarily talking mm-hmm. to the the marriage or singleness. And so this is, I don't think there's, I think it's impossible. I think this is a tricky interpretive call of mm-hmm. is this talk is singleness a gift? Is marriage a gift or not? I, I tend to lean that way too with you. Um, mm-hmm. but, but it's, it's not a clear passage. And I, and I think that what that means yeah. is we need to, I think, I think we don't know if we talked about an episode in this or not, or not James spiritual gifts. Like, I think we got to be careful whenever we talk about finding your spiritual gift or finding, yeah. I, I think that we've, we've really formulated that a whole bunch into a test that we give people at church. Um, yeah. Yeah. and I don't know, I don't know if that's biblical. I just, I, yeah. I don't, I don't see you definitely don't see the believers taking a test about their gifts. I mean, that's for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, it, is is it a gift from God? Well, what what's not a gift from God that's good? Every good yeah. gift, you know. Yeah. And, and so, is singleness good? So, I, I'm going to tend that way to say that that singleness can be a good thing. Um, Paul would definitely mm-hmm. say it's a good thing. Um, you know, is marriage good? Yes, marriage is a good thing. I think you got the rest of Scripture. You know, for the most part, that's going to talk about marriage being a good thing. They're both two different embodiments, uh, both two different things that, that we can do. And they both embody something mm-hmm. different about God and the Christian life. And I think that's mm-hmm. the point Paul's trying to get at. Um, I think that's mm-hmm. his heart. And whenever, especially at the beginning of the verse, where he's talking about, you know, it's, I wish that everyone was like this, um, mm-hmm. but each has his own gift. And so, um, yeah. you know, one this way, one that way. And so it's, yeah, it, it's, it's a hard call to make, but, uh, but I think yeah. that's where he's like guiding it. Yeah. Which by the way, I would say, yeah, I, I think, maybe the translation of that will almost be too far as Paul is saying that singleness is some sort of special spiritual gift and mm-hmm. marriage is a spiritual yeah. gift. I don't, I don't know if he's speaking in those terms. Yeah. What I mean, what I would necessarily, what I would say is even in my own experience that I've experienced the gift of both, yeah. right? That I was, you know, I didn't get married till I was uh, 29 years old. And so I spent most of my twenties as a single person and I experienced the gift of singleness and the benefits of singleness that Paul will later talk about in chapter seven, what we're about to get to. Yeah. But now I have the gift of marriage. And so really I have had both gifts from God is what I would say. Um, mm-hmm. And both of them were just as valuable. I'm not at a, you know, again, I would say you know, I'm married. And so this gift is of incredible value to me. You know, I, maybe I would say, <laughs> I wish everyone was like me in receiving marriage, but I also realize that for those who have the other gifts, that that is incredibly valuable too. Mm-hmm. And I, I put high value on both. Um, I don't think I lived a lesser life as a single person. Um, I think, and, and I don't think I'm living a quote unquote lesser or better life as a married person. I would say in both cases, these were both incredible gifts from God that could be used for the sake of the gospel. Yeah. Um, and so that's re- how I would describe it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's a good, at least, at least with what we're hitting at with, with that text, I think that's probably the right way to describe it. So James, mm-hmm. I, I want to move, I feel like, I mean, we can do this a little bit more exegetical, but I would, I think maybe it'd be better use of our time to maybe shift now the conversation and maybe instead of really, I think we've hit the main points of the verse, but maybe mm-hmm. now let's talk about singleness as a whole and, and, and talk about that reality and, and, and maybe talk about maybe not the way it was addressed in Corinthians where it was definitely, you know, one is better than the other, but maybe the way that it, most people experience it today. Is that, you want to shift the conversation that way? Or do you have more to say on the text before we kind of go to more topical or theological? Um, I think as we kind of move into that 
point, you know, we'll, we'll reference um, a little bit of the end of First Corinthians seven, where Paul kind of, yeah, um, where Paul addresses uh, the reason why he values singleness so much, yeah, um, and so yeah, so I think the contrast here, uh, you know, one of the things I said to my students on Sunday, you know, and we talked about the context of First Corinthians seven, and I mentioned this earlier. The contrast here of what's going on in First Corinthians seven and how singleness is treated today, especially in the church, I, I, I find pretty actually ironic, funny, astounding. I, I don't know what word I would use for it because Paul's addressing a culture where it seems like for many in that culture, celibacy was this higher calling of of spirituality. Yeah, right. It was you are more spiritual you have reached this new level of spirituality by being single um and i think paul would guard against that you know i I don't think he would advocate for that i i I don't think he would say that those who are single christians are better christians than married christians Mm -hmm. but the other side of what's happening in culture today especially in christian culture is we push people in our church so hard, almost we push them to get married. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Saying that marriage is somehow this higher level of spirituality than singleness. And and we don't, I don't think the church does this intentionally, but, and and I've, I've experienced this being, you know, a single person in the church, at least for most of my twenties, the way we preach, the way we talk to people, it's sometimes even the way that the church talks to single people. I, I laugh like, when you're single in your twenties, people in the church sometimes who are, especially those who are married or who are older, it's like, they don't quite know how to talk to you. And so it's like, anytime they have a conversation, it's like, well, have you found a girlfriend or have you, you know, are you, uh, you know, are you pursuing marriage and things like that? And it's like, sometimes we communicate to people, Hey, this is your sole goal in life as a single person is to pursue marriage. Mm -hmm. And it's like, because you want to get to that. And we make it sound as if, marriage is going to complete us as a Christian. Yeah. And at that point, we've put pressure on marriage to do something it was never designed to do. Absolutely. And yeah. we've put pressure on dating to do something it's yeah. never designed to do. Yeah. It's not designed to give us fulfillment, to make us better believers. It's a, both are gifts. And so I think we've got to pull back and recognize and verbally affirm the gift of singleness and the gift of marriage. So I'm not saying like denigrate marriage, but I'm saying say that both of these are incredible gifts from God and both can be incredibly useful. Yeah. Well, and and so here's the way I want to take this. Here's, here's what I think Paul is wrestling with. Um, I think there's several Pauline passages we can go to. Um, you know, I, I think of Ephesians, I think of um, even in Corinthians, I think he hits on some of these where he's talking about marriage. And I think what he's saying is marriage is relationship between Christ and the church. Um, mm-hmm. That That is what marriage is. And so the function of marriage, I think, has always been to be to demonstrate what mm-hmm. Christ does to his church. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think I think that's the function. So I think what, what you see happening is Paul is now reflecting on what Christ has now come and what he has done and what that, what implications that could have. And I think what he's saying is, Hey, I found, I think if you were talking to Paul, I think this is what, how he would describe it. And this is my opinion on it. So, but I think Paul is saying, I found a new relationship. 
um, that's happened. And it's, and it's the one that he finds through singleness because Jesus was single, right? Um, uh, Paul, mm-hmm. Paul at this point is single, whether he had a wife or not. There's, there's a lot of other people that have lived a celibate life. And I think what mm-hmm. he's saying is, Hey, this, this celibate life, it requires self-sacrifice. It requires full dependence on God. But I really think what he's holding to is that this is a eternity and eschatological relationship. And this mm-hmm. the celibacy, in my opinion, represents relationships in the eternal state. So let me mm-hmm. let me rephrase that. Marriage represents Christ in the church. It's a good picture. It's a picture we must look at to see Christ in the church. Celibacy is another picture we look at to understand relationships in the eternal state, where we are completely dependent upon God. Um, yeah. If you're if you're celibate and you get old, who's going to take care of you? You don't have kids to take care of you. If you're celibate, um, you you are now going to risk, especially in the first century, you're going to risk your entire honor. It's it's one of the most shameful things that can happen to you. Um, and what you're mm-hmm. saying is, my heritage is passed on through Christ. I'm, I'm trusting Him for literally everything. Um, and that is the picture I think Paul is starting to see that that Christ is everything for him. And he doesn't need to build this empire on earth. He doesn't need to build his own safety system, his own thing, because he's got an internal family. And he talks about this, brothers and sisters. So I think what Paul is doing theologically, what I would argue is he's reflecting on, yeah, marriage is still a good picture. And he argues that elsewhere. But celibacy is a new picture for the church. And they're not to be pitted against each other. They're just different. And so some get, some have the picture of marriage, some have celibacy. Um, Everybody starts off in singleness, like you mentioned earlier, James, right? We all start off that Mm -hmm. way. But I I think he's, I don't think he's talking about singleness in this passage because he says, I wish that you would not become married. So I think he's talking about celibacy in particular here, Mm -hmm. not just the life stage. And I think what Mm -hmm. he's trying to do is justify a holistic picture that both represent um, a, a unique avenue to understanding God's relationship with humanity. Um, and they, yeah. they both show two different stories, and both stories are needed to understand God's love for his people. Um, yeah. But in a, in a way, celibacy is the representation of what the future will always be whenever we get into the eschaton, mm-hmm. whenever you get into heaven. Um, and that's, there's other mm-hmm. verses there. I know that's that's un, that's opening a can of worms on are people married in heaven? Well, I know my spouse in heaven. You know, is there sex? And I know that that's opening a whole can, and I don't want to go down that way. Yeah. But I think I think that what you're getting here too, even in the Corinthian thing, maybe this is more theology than what you're seeing in Corinthians. But I think Paul is starting to realize and talk about the balance mm-hmm. here, and I think I think you're right. The balance is off. They're they're arguing one is better than the others, and I think he's trying to say no. Both are both are good, but I prefer mm-hmm. this one because this is the one that we'll see more of in the future. Whenever they're, yeah. whenever they're, whenever you don't need to know the relationship to Christ and the church, because in the future Christ and the church are together, they're reunited. Yeah. Um, the bride, yeah. the bride comes back, and so I don't know. That's my thought. I think that fits in with with some other Pauline text. Uh, I think that fits in with more of his view of, of eschatology too. Mm-hmm. Um, that's yeah, my two I, cents. I, I think you find some of this reflection that you're talking about in verses 32 through 35. And Mm -hmm. I'll say a couple of things. One, the reason we desire marriage. And and one of the things I even told my students this Sunday is, look, if you're single and you desire marriage, that is a good desire. Yeah. Right. There is. And sometimes I, I think with single people, we can go the opposite direction where it's like, be content in your singleness. And we almost make it sound like, well, if you desire marriage, then that just means you're not content with your singleness, which I think is a false equivalent. Like that's not true. 
Um, desiring marriage is a good thing. I mean, marriage is instituted by God in creation in Genesis 2. You know, Proverbs 18 talks about the man who desires a wife desires a good thing. And you know, again, Paul speaks very positively about marriage, yeah. especially in Ephesians 5, in that whole picture of Christ in the church. So desiring marriage is not bad. Yeah. Uh, now, what I would say is the problem is when the desire for, as a single person, when the desire for marriage consumes your life. And that's the only thing you're pursuing. Yeah. Um, because the only thing then you're putting your hope in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because then you're, I would just say on the positive side, you're, you're missing out on what singleness does provide you. And, you know, for but getting back to my point, we are relational beings. And so Paul has to find, if he's not married, for him, he has found fulfillment in his relationship. Yeah mostly with God in pursuing the things of the Lord. And he's also found fulfillment, I would argue, in his relationship with the church. Yes, exactly. With other believers. And that he calls and, and his family. Is, yeah. And, and this is what he hints at a little bit in verse 32 of chapter exactly. 7. I want you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. So I would say he's ultimately, he's like, I'm finding fulfillment. And I'm fully concerned about the things of God, how to please God. And he'll go on, uh, verse 33 says, a married man is concerned about the things of the world, how to please his wife, and he is divided. Uh, now, I don't think he means divided in a negative sense. He's just expressing the reality of that, look, you have a God as a husband, and then he'll he'll say the same thing about the woman in verse 34. Yeah. As a husband, as a wife, you have a godly, God, God-given responsibility Function, yeah. to care for your wife, mm-hmm. and as a wife, to care for your husband, to care for your family. These are God-given, God-honoring responsibilities. But the reality is... Because you have to focus on that, there are some things you can't focus on as much as, you know, Paul would say, as I. Um, and he says in verse 35, I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place a limitation on you. In other words, he's like, I'm not trying to restrict you and say that you can't marry. He says, I'm not suggesting that. But he's saying, but so that without distraction, you may give notable and constant service to the Lord. Yeah. And he's advocating for the fulfillment that he has found and just full devotion to the Lord. And that's where he's finding this relational need that yeah. he has. Um, yeah. Once again, and, it, I think, I think he's painting a picture of what heaven will be like. I think he's painting yeah. a picture of this. This is where we're headed. This is the new picture that Christ has now opened us that we no longer are reliant on just our own families to fight for each other. But now we are in the family of God. We are now the church. We are the bride of Christ. And so we don't need the old picture because we're the new picture is here. Well, yeah, I wouldn't say you don't need the old picture, but there's another picture that that's been revealed, um, mm-hmm. and, and and it's not a limitation. I think you're right. So he's saying there's there's both of these are are authentic expressions of faith. Um, yeah. But one of them, I think, would say is I think he would argue one of them is purely going to emphasize self sacrifice and God dependence more than the other one. You know, um, mm-hmm. in a sense. Um, cause you can give, it's just, it's what he says, his arguments, you don't have to be concerned about these other things. You get to devote all your time. So I, I've had yeah. professors that are celibate and you know, that he writes more commentaries than the professors that are married. It's just a fact, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, well, he, yeah. Dre, I'm in, I'm in PhD work and I can tell you that PhD work was a lot easier when I was single than mm-hmm. it is now that I'm married. Yep. And again, not that either was bad or good. They're it's different. just, that's yeah. the reality. It's exactly. they're different. Yeah, exactly. And, and so I think that that's. I think that's the argument Paul is trying to make here. And especially he and once again back to the context, why is he why is he making this argument to these people? Well, because I think they've got a a 
they don't have a sexual ethic. They're misunderstanding marriage and they're misunderstanding singleness. Um, mm-hmm. They've misunderstood both. And so I think he's trying to side with them and say, okay, if you're trying to go to the singleness celibate route, let's talk about that. But if you're already married, like, well, then let's talk about that too. Mm-hmm. And I think he's hitting this and he's addressing that certain problem. Um, and I think that they're, you know, the application, you got to be careful. You can't just take it straight there, but I think you have to understand what he's saying and then understand what's behind what he's saying. Um, yeah. and it's not for limitation. It's, it's so we can, it's so we can better understand these two pictures of Christ in the church and Christ in our future. Um, yeah. James, yeah. I, I think we should probably stop it at mm-hmm. 36 cause then you, you get into a whole nother, you know, this whole idea I've had people say, well, we're lusting. And so we just need to go get married, you know, because we can't mm-hmm. keep it in our pants. And I, I don't, I think that's another conversation. So I don't know if we should keep going on to the rest of, yeah. there's a lot here yeah. in first Corinthians seven. Um, it's, it's a, it's a big chapter, but I think, I think the start of it is the reality, make it real practical. Reality is a lot of people, um, I meet are single. A lot of my friends are single and there's different reasons for that. Um, there, I don't think being single is good or bad. I think it's, uh, it's a stage. I think what people need to realize is they need to say, okay, do I have desires to get married? Um, is, is that the gift that I have or, or is it, is it true that there's an equally important gift of singleness? Um, Mm -hmm. and it's not just, well, I couldn't find, I couldn't find a spouse. So I guess I have the gift of singleness. That's not it. I think you see an intentionality Mm -hmm. here that Paul is saying about what singleness is and how to use it well. And I think back to your point. If you don't know which one you're going to, if you don't know what God has for you, well then, then make the most of what you have right there. If you are single, then, then mm-hmm. use it. Um, and then don't, don't make it so negative. It's not that you're second class. If God doesn't give you a spouse, it's not that you're second class. If you don't have someone you're dating right now, um, mm-hmm. it, it's something it's, it's a very real thing and it's, it's a preferred picture. Um, according to Paul, it's one that he, he says, Hey, this is something that you should think about and you're not less. It means you have an opportunity to display something that a married person can't display. Um, yeah. A single person can display something about God's character and his love towards the world that me as a married person will never be able to display. And we need both. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's an accurate application of of where Paul is headed in this passage. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's great. My, my final thought is whether you're single or married, use both for the sake of the gospel. There you go. Um, and I love that thought, you know, and I think so often we emphasize the the picture of a marriage of Christ in the church and for a single person, they can feel, well, I can't reflect that picture. And I love yeah. what you just added right there at the end is you might not reflect that specific picture, but you reflect another picture mm-hmm. that a married couple can't reflect. Yeah. And both of these are incredibly valuable and they're both yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Um, and a word to church people, you know, I had so many friends in seminary that aren't married and couldn't get jobs. Well, I think we need more people that are single mm-hmm. working in our churches because they, they can bring a, they can, they can display something that the rest of the church is not displaying well. And the fact that the next generations are mostly single um, mm-hmm. says that we need people that can relate and quit being so afraid about people going into, I mean, just trust your, you know, get good pastors, get good quality people. And that's a call. If you are single, live a life of faith, you know, live a life, mm-hmm. um, of, of fighting those fights well and, 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 you know, live up and walk the walk that way. Whenever people do look on you, they don't just think you're just some loser. You're not, I mean, you're not yeah. second class. You have value. Um, anyway, yeah. we could talk about that forever. Um, I think that's, yeah, it's a good, yeah, thing. I think that's a good wrap up. I could go into a whole tirade about that. Yeah, I probably, I probably, I probably could too. Uh, yeah. But that's we'll probably see. a good stopping point for <laughs> us before we, before we delve into that. Yeah, so, I agree. um, 
So thanks again, as always, uh, for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed this conversation on 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, If you have other questions about this passage or you have another topic that you would like for us to discuss, uh, you can reach out to us a couple ways. You can email us at goodtheologicalthursday at gmail.com or simply follow us on Facebook. Just look for Good Theological Thursday and you can send us a message through Facebook. Uh, If you like what you've heard today, we would ask you to consider subscribing to the podcast. Uh, Leave us a rating. Uh, If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we'd encourage you to uh, consider writing us a little review. We always appreciate that. Or just pass this episode on to a friend that you think might benefit um, from some of the things that we're talking about. Uh, Dre, uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us where we're going next week? Yeah, whenever we don't talk about it before, I just copy and paste the first one I see in our brainstorm list. So I just now, in the last five seconds, chose that we're going to talk about <laughs> does God see degrees of sin or is all sin the same? Uh, that's We might change that, but that's what I'm going with for today. Until then, have a Perfect. good Theological Thursday. See y'all. See ya. Bye.